You're listening to the Tag Team Podcast, the podcast that is a WWE Network companion, currently covering 1984 WWF Tuesday Night Titans. And now here are your Tag Team Podcast hosts, Jeff Jones and John Burke. Greetings, welcome to the Tag Team Podcast, episode 5, July 17th, 1984. We are back. Finally. Yes, or to some of you, we never left. The power of technology. Oh, what a time. Should we pull back the curtain for the for the listeners, Jeff, or should we just roll with it? Oh, no. All right. Heads or tails? I'll go heads. Okay, hang on. Best four out of five. Heads. Okay. I guess we will pull back the curtain then for this exclusive. So, in all transparency, a word we hear very often at the workplace, we banked a bunch of shows. They've been done for a little while. While we tried to build the podcast, we banked some shows. Last episode recorded was done a while back, and that's what happens when you brag that you're not been sick, and everyone else is getting sick, and you're doing fine, and well, you get sick. That happens to me during our hiatus of recording. I think it was probably actually mono because most of the antibiotics were not doing the trick and the better half had mono at the time. I think I probably got some of that, but currently I'm doing a lot better. Fun fact, I've never had mono. I didn't either. Fun fact, sharing is not always caring. You know, that scares me. I thought that was a high school sickness mono, or maybe middle school. Turns out if you get with someone that has it, you drink their Powerade because you think it's your Powerade, yeah, you can still get it. Fun fact, I don't drink after anybody. <laughs> I didn't think I did either. Even by mistake. If I even think that that's not my cup, I'll go wash it out. <laughs> so I've wasted a lot of cups. <laughs> Yeah, we're sharing the same Powerade bottle. I guess it's semi my fault. I drink the flavor that she usually has because I was now pretty much masked itself as a normal sinus type thing. I had earache and my throat was sore. It was only like on one side. So yeah, doctor gave me antibiotics. Those didn't work. Gave me antibiotics again. Those didn't really work either. And yeah, we just wrote it off as mono, which unfortunately there is no antibiotic for. You just kind of deal with it. So your doctor was even confused. Well, I only went to him once. He thought it might be the antibiotics, so he wrote me another one which gave me a copay but yeah unfortunately it didn't work either and i didn't want to go there for another copay to be told yeah it's mono good luck they don't do the uh, the phone consultations he doesn't to my knowledge but they have an app that you can just text some stuff and he'll, he'll respond back off that be just as good texting your doctor technology this is what it's come to i'm surprised he allowed you to text him <laughs> well i think it's a text for me but it's an email for him i don't know how it works on his end oh, okay well, that makes sense then. Well, that was fun for you. I did the opposite. I took a vacation and thought we were going to have some family problems, and we actually didn't, so we went on vacation. Celebrate. So it was nice. Very nice. And then I come back to having to pull seven days straight. It was bad. So I went from good to bad. I was not a fan. Then I had some time off, and we finally found some time to get this going and get this podcast moving back on track. So we're going to try to pump out two of them tonight. Yep, build the bank back up after we took out a huge loan. I think it 
Well, I think once we get about three or four, we can just go on vacation. There you go. Get some vacation time built up. Yeah, it's just like a regular workplace. I'm just waiting for that paycheck. <clears throat> paycheck. We'll move into the last podcast and reminisce a little bit to refresh our skills. Do you, do you remember episode four? I know we did it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. I know Cindy Lopper was on it. Episode number four. That was the actual Alfred Hayes actually broke into the Majesty's bedroom to give her tea. That was the running joke for the beginning and the Hulk Hogan promos. That was the subject. Hulk Hogan everywhere. Somehow he skated by in episode five with no Hulk Hogan Iron Sheik match. I hope they show it six times in episode six to make up for it. Paul Vacan. Sean. Vashon. Vacan, Vashon, Pecan, whatever. Sorry. He's dead. Sorry, Paul. You're good. I'll send him sympathy. There you go. Luna will be like, what? Anyway, Vashon did the singing for us and actually on the YouTube version, you'll have to go and see Vince McMahon singing with Mr. Vashon. We got to see Gorilla Monsoon and Muhammad Ali go at it. Thrilla and Fella. Yep. It was interesting to watch celebrities try to interact with wrestling and be a part of the show. I believe after that, we had Captain Lou join the show and they were making fun of him for barely fitting on the little piano bench and him actually playing the song that Paul Vashon played. He actually mimicked it and they were very impressed. We kind of have some of uh, Let Me Show You My Talents in episode five, so we'll get into that. The music just will not die with this show whatsoever. That's right. It's the 80s. MTV was strong. Unfortunately, the music that the WWF was playing was not but we'll get into that. We started wrapping it up with a Piper's Pit talk about Captain Lou and everything he did for Cindy Lauper, which then brought her into officially and for Cindy Lauper to start the feud. And bring back women's wrestling to WWF. Very exciting. Can't wait to see it. Yeah. Lord Alfred Hayes seems to be a big fan from what I gathered on this episode. Oh yeah. We'll go into that too, definitely. <laughs> for sure. And then that's where Captain Lou challenged Cindy Lauper to their wrestling. She accepted the challenge. And then we got to see Terry Daniel the one-man Marine and part of the Corps. And we got to see Sergeant Slaughter visit the Statue of Liberty. We finished it off with Mad Dog Vashon versus Buddy Cole. Greatest finish of all time. <laughs> Pretty much. That brings us to present day, episode five. Ready to do some territory talk there, Jeff? Let's do it. Let's talk May 1984 timeline with territories. Territory. Wrestling territories. And for you youngsters out there, <laughs> wrestling territories is something that may be foreign to you, but at one time in the United States alone, there were 25 or 30 wrestling territories that were headquartered around the country. Oh yeah, on episode four Territory Talk, we did North Carolina and some of Tennessee, focusing on Memphis for the main part of it. This time around, we're going to do... Continental Championship Wrestling, and Bosley's going to read International Championship Wrestling. Bosley, if you will. Territory Talk. Tennessee continued, Kentucky and Mississippi. International Championship Wrestling or ICW. Based out of Lexington, Tennessee, this group, founded by wrestler-turned-promoter Angelo Poffo in 1978, was one of the more successful outlaw, or non-NWA-affiliated, groups in history, running shows in the Tennessee, Kentucky area over a six-year period. Angelo Poffo's International Championship Wrestling came to an area that already had its share of wrestling, Ron Fuller's Southeastern and Crockett's Mid-Atlantic, and, remarkably, put together a pretty good run from the late 1970s through the early 1980s. 
the promotion's heyday to be from late 1980 through early 1982. This part of Tennessee where ICW promoted was actually in a borderland of sorts. Ron Fuller, Nick Goulas, Jim Crockett Jr., and Jerry Jarrett ran shows in various parts of ICW's territory in the 70s and 80s. By late 1980, they had taken over for Fuller's promotion in the northern end of his old Knoxville territory and were putting on weekly shows at the Johnson City Recreation Center. This is where Fuller, and Nick Goulas before him, had put on their weekly shows for this part of their respective territories. While there was definitely heat between the Poffo and Fuller promotions, Crockett seemed to coexist with Poffo just as he had with Fuller. There were periodic mid-Atlantic cards in the area and it seemed capable of supporting two regional promotions. As mentioned earlier, there was heat between Poffo's and Fuller's groups. Several top names in Southeastern jumped to ICW, including Ronnie Garvin, Bob Roop, Bob Orton Jr., Boris Marlinko, and Ron Wright. This was the Monday Night Wars with no Mondays some of the shots Garvin and Roop took at the Fullers on the early ICW television show, throwing down challenges to anyone and everyone in Fuller's group. They even broke kayfabe a bit, telling viewers that Ron and Robert's real name was Welch. Pretty harsh words for 1984 telling the wrestler's real name. That's a big kayfabe no-no. That is almost a lynching. Yeah. Get the pitchforks and torches and go find them people. I would have liked to have found some of that footage of them just going at it with another promotion. That would have been some fascinating stuff to watch. Yeah, I wasn't able to secure any of that kind of information. Next up, we got Continental Championship Wrestling. This became a reality in 1985 when promoter Ron Fuller decided to expand the horizons of what was Southeast Championship Wrestling. 1985 saw the name of the promotion change from Southeastern Wrestling to Continental during the summer of 85. The TV show went from a weekly studio taping to a then every other week arena show. A change of announcers as Charlie Platt was replaced by none other than the Dean Gordon Sully. The promotion also made a return to the roots of the Fuller family and promoted as Continental began running shows in East Tennessee as well as Alabama, East Mississippi, and Northwest Florida. The promotion was extremely popular amongst fans and drew some big name stars. In 1988, local television station owner David Woods bought controlling interest from Ron Fuller and had the promotion renamed Continental Wrestling Federation. Much continued as normal with the name change and the promotion enjoyed enjoyed some notoriety, especially during the periods when Eddie Gilbert was Booker. Finally, under the onsall of the WWF and JC Promotions, the CWF was unable to hold on and close their doors in 1990. Get Gordon Sully on your program. You get some credibility, man. That was the NWA pimp. You'd go out there and promote all the NWA products, so... 
good upgrade on their part. Sounds like they had a decent run. I love to find some promotional materials for that uh, Continental uh, Championship Wrestling. Just so I kind of watch the wrestlers out there with the flyers going around towns, putting it up on the phone post and trying to get everybody to come to their show. Oh, I'm sure it was good times. Good times indeed. Yeah, it'd be some fun footage or memories to have of seeing Ron Eddie Gilbert out there posting up some flyer to come see our wrestling show. Or at least have a signed marquee there and putting go. it out there. Hey, we'll sign this for you if you come to our show kind of deal. Some good memorabilia. Yeah, especially since it's defunct in the 1990s. About 17 years ago now, or older than that. Yeah, I could do math. 27 years ago. Man. Don't do math. I liked your first answer better. <laughs> Makes me feel much younger. <laughs> Ready to recap Tuesday Night Titans, July 17th, 1984, the fifth episode, Jeff? I'm excited. This was a very special episode, for sure. So we start off with Vince and Lord Alfred Hayes. They open the show. Do you remember what he used to call Lord Alfred Hayes this time? Well, from what I gathered, I believe it was in reference to a ball boy. That is correct. Let's talk about Wilmington and how he was the head ball boy for Wilmington. So. All them balls. Yeah, exactly. I have a clip on it. Here's what Alfred's response was to Vince Conham, head ball boy. I think I'd have trouble chasing those balls around the court. <laughs> you could tell Alfred thought it was hilarious, as he tends to. I didn't think it was that funny. No, I didn't either. Right off the bat... I would like to give this a theme. Care to guess the theme on this one? Oh, I guess the theme. If you don't have one, then I think once I play it, you'll probably agree. Compared to the other five episodes, this one had a lot more of this particular thing on it. Yes, please play your clip because my mind's drawing a blank. I didn't have anything for theme. Here's, here's what I got from the theme of the episode. Touché. This had the most women on it of any episode so far. Between Wendy Richter, Cindy Lauper, Moolah, Greg Hamer, Valentine's wife. We had a lot of... So yeah, I thought that would be the underlining theme for this episode. So I'm going to go ahead and say it for all the listeners out there. Thank you for getting that song stuck in our head. And if you're <laughs> too young to know what the song is, YouTube. That's where I had to get it from. Thank you, YouTube and Motley Crue. Indeed. That's what I thought the episode was mostly the theme around this one, if I had to, to give it one. I would concur. I did like the introduction. It was a very new spiffy horn Z, I guess. Yeah, we'll get into that a little later for sure. I got a hypothesis. Oh, I'm down for that, definitely. And I'm learning so much from Vix McMahon about Lord Alfred Hayes. You would think they've known each other since they were kids. Wade Vince McMahon always pulls him into a new situation. Last episode, it was breaking in the bedroom for tea, and now he was doing ball work <laughs> for the Majesty. Yeah. So does he come off as a servant? Is that what we're getting? Might be a Vince McMahon's little monkey boy. I don't know. Oh, is that before he got with Shawn Michaels? Yeah, exactly. All right, moving on. The first guest they bring out, is Wendy Richter and before that Lord Alfred Hayes just totally gives his opinion on women's wrestling so a beautiful girl from our I was going to say wrestling fraternity but you really couldn't say that because she's a girl a lady wrestler <laughs> lady wrestlers can't be in fraternities for for wrestlers because they're lady wrestlers so yeah I've never seen Wendy before and I was pleasantly surprised and the way that Lord Alfred Hayes and Vince McMahon reacted you think they have never ever talked to a woman before. 
I thought that this whole episode, pretty much. They were a li- little excited, to say the least. Yeah, for, for sure. They were glad to have some estrogen on the show and break up the male testosterone. That's been the last four episodes prior. But Wendy comes out there and makes all kinds of comments. Vince and Lord Alfred Hayes do on her beauty. She's the first one they actually showed walk off the stage on camera. Usually just fade in and fade out and there's the next guest or they're on to the next subject they actually showed her walking off on camera so it's kind of weird helps with the viewers get more views yeah i think this whole episode was and the other thing that she brought up when she was on there she was she mentions why she's out there is basically there's just a hype segment for her match with cindy lopper upcoming for the brawl to end it all on mtv in a few days and they're just hyping that up and basically tell how this match started basically everything we covered in episode four cindy lopper getting mad at Captain Lou, Lou challenging Lopper, Lopper getting Wendy Richter, Lou getting Fabulous Moolah, and them having a match. I can't wait to see it. Oh yeah, I'm sure it'll be epic, especially after seeing what I saw on this episode for Moolah's wrestling skills. Oh yeah, and just for everybody, I'm staying in line with the episodes and the wrestling gossip as it goes. I haven't went ahead and looked at any spoilers because I, even though I was, you know, just out of the wound about a month i don't remember any of this i'm kind of watching it for the first time so sort of guessing and playing along like everybody else did back in 84 same here for match results and stuff i know some of the history but i don't know who won their first match i know who won their last match because it was part of wrestlemania but i don't know who won any of the matches in between if it's not a major pay-per-view then i wouldn't have saw it and i wouldn't wouldn't know the outcomes next up they had tony korea and we get a little taste of Tony Gria off our Black Saturday special. And we've seen him in a couple other episodes. Prior to, he was on TNT Wrestling. So this isn't our first go-around with him, but it's the first time he's been on set. And we know from prior episodes that he was from New Zealand, so he had a little bit of an accent, and Vince thought he talked funny. Their little running joke that they go with anyone with an accent. At least we didn't have to hear him pronounce his name. No, he's much more privileged than Salvatore Palumbo. When he joins the set, we do learn he was an excellent singles competition man and that he was looking for a tag team partner. Yep, and he's held the record, which was very low at that time. He was a five-time WWF champion, and that was the record. Shows you how much titles changed hands back then. Well, they knew what they wanted, and they stuck with it. There you go. They want New Zealand wrestlers to be over. He talks a little bit about New Zealand and Auckland and his heritage and then they go to a match and the match is him versus Johnny Rods. Do you happen to know anything about Johnny Rods? I don't know anything besides he has a Z in his name. That's about it. Johnny Rods is probably if Paul Heyman was the godfather of ECW, Johnny Rods would probably be one of the family because he is famous for training Devon, Taz, Tommy Dreamer, and Humorous, aka 
Bill DeMont. So without him, we wouldn't have some of the ECW people that we had in the business. Oh, yeah. Some of the pieces are starting to come together. Yeah. He was innovative for his legendary training school. It had a few names in it that graduated. He also had some other guys in there, like Vince Russo, but I've never seen Vince Russo wrestle. I mean, he tried to in WCW, so I don't know if he actually trained Vince Russo to wrestle or just about the business or some form of fashion of something in between. Maybe Russo got lost and went in there to ask directions. There you go. And they also had a special commentator for this match. And thank goodness they told us, because I would have guessed all day and just known it wasn't any of the normal commentators. This was Ray Stevens, the Crippler, not to be confused with Chris... The other crippler that we can't talk about if you're in WWE. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that guy. The match itself, it was decent, and I did notice something to start it off with. Did you happen to notice anything at the start of the match? Nothing that really caught my eye right off. That's what Vince wanted you to think. Here's what I noticed at the start of the match. Action to begin. Seconds of silence. Starts out at the 11.54 mark. First match, right off the bat. Let's just get out of the way. Moment of silence. Bam. Done. I'm telling you, there's a sound engineer that they were just waiting to fire. I have another theory, because this was also on YouTube, and you got to hear some different stuff, and then you get to hear off the WWE In Demand 2007 version or the network version. So maybe they were talking about other stuff, like uh, I know on... Uh, um, the episodes that I heard that wasn't on the network, they're talking about other matches that happened that night. So if I'm airing this on another show, I really don't want them to know, oh yeah, and Hulk Hogan wrestled Paul Orndorff, but you're not going to see that match. So I'm thinking maybe something like that, but that's just another theory to, to try to explain what I'm not hearing. So your theory is they're talking about other stuff while they should be watching the match. Yeah, sort of, exactly. It comes into play definitely in the later matches here. The One of the matches where they're talking about like the whole card that happened that night. It's like, oh, really? I kind of wish I got to see that match. But instead, I'm watching this one. So, yeah, that's my, my theory on maybe why there's some dead air. Maybe it wasn't a production error. Maybe it had to be done for other reasons. Anyway, yeah, that was an interesting match to start right off with. Just some moment of silence. It starts during that moment of silence, if I was to do a play by play for it. It basically was they run crisscross the ropes. Tony Gurria's gonna go for a punch. Rods grabs the ropes, ducks down, yells to the ref there's an open fist. Rose tries to get Gurria in front headlock. Gurria escapes. Rose does a forward tumble. And then the most interesting maneuver I've ever seen. He does like a backstroke. Kind of weird. Did you notice that? Yes, I did. I've never seen that before. Still, I've never seen it since. 
sense and gets back to his feet. Does a single arm tank down and then Rose goes extreme and goes to the top turnbuckle, but it backfires and Tony wins with a flying body press to end the match. That was a full length match. Yeah, it wasn't that long. And then they even went to blows after the bell because they weren't done. Luckily for Tony, he gets a drop kick in and Roz goes out of the ring. Yeah, I miss those after the bell brawls. Yeah, you don't see those too often anymore. The other guy just stays down and the other guy walks away most of the time. I guess if the loser got back up and started hitting on the soon-to-be babyface, I guess he gets feelings hurt. <laughs> yeah. After the match, they go back to studio. Tony talks about his commentary attempts and talks about individual goals, wanting to wrestle for the IC title. And just knowing what we know, I don't know if people would know it as much in 84. It's kind of awkward. It was kind of like, yeah, if I wrestled Tito, Vince, wink, wink, I think it would be a good match. I should get a title shot. Wink, wink. Kind of awkward seeing him do that. But Hulk Hogan, no way. No, he's, he's humbled himself and said he's not up to Hulk Hogan level. Let's not get carried away, but I'll settle for an IC title shot. Anything's better than nothing. Exactly. I could take the title belt. Go do something amazing with it. I don't think kids would have as much of a great time with Tony Gria going out to the Hilton and having lunch as they would with Tito Santana. However, I do know that Chris Beavers was probably very disappointed they didn't go to a Mexican restaurant. I'm just saying. Moving on. <laughs> Our next match is Jimmy Snuka versus Samoa number three. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Samoa number three. Is is that The Rock? Is that Rocky Johnson? Is that Rakishi? Which one's three? I think three is Samu. I think we get into the double digits when we get on down to The Rock status. I think that would probably make Rakishi or Fatu number four, because I believe Samu and Fatu were the Samoan SWAT team, so maybe there was a fourth one that didn't make it, and then Fatu took his place. I don't know. We'll see. Can't wait. Mystery of the Samoans. Samoa mania running wild. Might have to do a second podcast. Where did all the Samoans go? It would be an interesting one. We could do like a whole Samoan ancestry podcast. Try to trace them all back to the first Samoan. Patreon listeners. We need money. Yeah, premium content. Premium content. If you donate, you get the free Samoan Heritage Podcast. We'll get some DNA. <laughs> All right, so when we go to the match, we see Jimmy Snuka coming in, doing his usual ritual, and Samu is ready to rock and roll. And Samu makes an early attack on Snuka. Seems to beat him down pretty well. But oddly enough, as soon as the bell rings, he sort of does almost like a Festus. Snuka comes back to life with a comeback against Samu. Gorilla Monsoon gives his fan he Pearl harbored him line that he likes to give so much. And it was Pat Patterson joining him on commentating right off the bat. He was just, I'm not going to wait for Snooker to get ready. I'm going to cold cock him and try to win this thing. Well, in all fairness, I mean, he did have his whole, his whole suit, his Fiji Island attire, and then the headband. Then he had to fix his knee pads. It's like, come on, guy, prep. <laughs> Put your knee pads on. Let's go. He was ready to go anyway. Yeah. It was interesting choice of attire for Superfly. I guess he could get away with it with what he wore. It was a little pink tights with flowers on them. Not too many guys can pull that off. Uh, no, definitely not. Uh, then Snooker goes for a high crossbody for a two count only. And then the match shows him and a front face lock. And on a side note, Snooker's trunks, I believe, were made out of the same design as a tablecloth my mom once had. I, was, I noticed that as well while we were on the attire topic. <laughs> 
Uh, if only you had the tablecloth now. You could have signed it, forged it, sold it on eBay, Snooker's Trunks, as seen on TNT. I could have. All the opportunities. This was the match that I was talking about that they were just kind of doing some filler. And that would probably be because the trapeze move that was on Snooker for a good four minutes. I just grabbed his traps and held it there for four minutes. So, unlike Vince, to make filler, they were just hey, earlier today, Hulk Hogan beat Mr. Wonderful, and coming up we got a six-man tag match. Rocky Johnson, Tony Atlas, with Ivan Putsky versus Mr. Fuji, Tiger Chung Lee, and Sergeant Slaughter. And the trapeze hole continued. That was a monsoon word. I believe we're going to give him credit for that. Yeah, trapezial move. No longer seen in modern day wrestling that I can recall. Even the big show and brawn, none of your real big strength guys I've ever seen use that type of move, so I'm not sure what happened to it. I guess it retired with Samu. I think on the note with Strawn and Big Show, they really shouldn't do high-flying stuff. But anyways, no. eventually Snook is able to break free from the hold, and then he was actually to get into the ropes and actually able to apply a flying headbutt. And then Snook climbs to the top rope for his famous fly, and he hits it without issue, and he gets the victory. And the people rejoice that the trapezole Bach is finally done. I really think that's intermission. That's the key word for, hey, if you need to go to the bathroom, you need to get some popcorn. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and do it. Yeah, I've got four minutes, guys. Do what you need to do. We'll still be here plugging the show when you get back. Yeah, most definitely. When you hear the crowd going wild, you know you need to get back to your seat. I noticed that even the ref was ready to bring it home. That was a pretty fast count by the ref there at the end. Yes, I concur. Compared to the other counts that I've seen during this episode, that was a pretty damn quick count. I went back to watch it, and yeah, he did his job. I mean, as soon as the shoulders hit, he counted one. I thought maybe he was on two before the shoulders even hit. After a couple viewings of that, he did his job. It was just a one, two, three. It wasn't a, a steady count for sure. Guess they needed extra time for that six-man tag match that we never got to see. Yeah, I'm getting a little jealous trying to hear another card. Hey, look, we have much better stuff that you're not ever going <laughs> to see. Well, great. Yeah, I want to know the build-up. Why is Sergeant Slaughter face guy on Mr. Fuji and Tiger Chung Lee's team? How did that happen? I guess we'll never know, or it's another episode for another day. Those are the important questions that never get asked. Exactly. So next up, we have mailbag time. A very special mailbag that kind of goes along with the theme. Indeed. I was very impressed with the mail delivery. I was a little disappointed how the mail was delivered. I feel like my wanting my job there is no longer available. Definitely will not have Alfred's approval. Nope. And I was definitely disappointed that S.D. Jones did not deliver the mail. They did kind of set it up. It's going to be a special delivery. Where's Jones? Where's Jones? He's not the one, unfortunately. Instead, we got... Indeed. And it was a lady kind of across. I had to describe the uniform. It'd be like Playboy bunny attire with a circus ringleader jacket and top hat on. Sort of like a Vegas outfit for a showgirl. Yeah. And she had the garter belt on outside of her pantyhose gymnastics leotard outfit. Interesting combo. Probably perfectly accepted in the 80s, though more so than the 21st 
21st century. And needless to say, Mr. Alfred didn't really know what to do with himself. He was uh, very delighted by this mailman and had to make sure that she wasn't the one that was throwing the bag at him in prior episodes. Lucky for us. Did you notice anything out of this viewer mail segment before we get to the questions? The T wasn't English. Yes, the T was not English. Well, that's what Alfred says. We'll take his word on it. Did you notice anything that could affect us, the viewers? No, not that I can recall. Lay it on me. We finally have an address to send our hate mail to. Oh, yeah. I did catch that now that you mentioned that. <laughs> that is kind of ironic. Let's finally give them the address to send in these letters on episode five. Yes, the writing staff ran out of fake material and they needed some real stuff. I was tempted to send a mail just to see if it still goes there or they send it back. <laughs> Leave off the TNT part. Yeah, someone might own that P.O. box. It's been on the network for over three years now, so I'm sure they've had at least one or two people probably write them. I'm sure if I put TNT on anything, the FBI will be by my door wondering why I'm sending TNT out. Exactly. Silly people. Moving on. They did finally give the address. Congrats. I was very happy to see the address, and I think I'm going to take a picture and send a mail out just to see what comes back. Worst case scenario, I lose, what, 35 cents for a stamp? Maybe we'll get our millions and millions of listeners to address also, and we'll get Bosley to post a screen capture up on the website. We can do that, and I will put our tag team podcast information in the envelope as well. There you go. And then we'll get a cease and desist letter for all the stuff that we take of theirs. That's fine. I'm sure they haven't checked the P.O. box for a while, so. Episode 5, the final and last episode of the Tag Team Podcast due to cease and desist order. It's okay. We'll still power the other episodes. We will get you episodes. Go underground. So the questions, they actually do three. And the first one that they announce on there is the Miller saw Hulk Hogan before he won the belt. They used to see him a lot. And they wonder why that this champion is not on anymore on TV. You know, I guess they missed the previous episode of Tuesday Night Titans. Yeah, I mean, he's on TV all the time. It's the same 30 seconds minus or plus an interview but he's on there all the time i don't know what the problem is my understanding he's a three-time wwf champion and he's beat the iron sheik three times i don't know maybe it's an addiction possibly so vince uh, gives her a liner of he's the world champion and that's why it's not on tv his schedule is very busy so thanks for that inside vince yes and thanks for making us think that all the other people that show up really have nothing else going on jobbers and hands talent. Next question. They start sucking up to Vince. They congratulate Vince on TNT. Said they like the Ivan Putsky singing and dancing. Want to know if Vince has any other wrestlers that sing and dance as well. So it's good to know that someone appreciated Ivan Putsky singing and dancing. I just liked his food critics and that was about it. I think Ivan sent that in since nobody else had the address. Could be. Could be. Or Gorilla Monsoon since he's the only one that's complimented Vince on TNT saying that congratulations. So one of the two probably. I believe Vince follows up with, we believe we will have more in the future. Sorry, Jeff. 
<laughs> and he isn't really sure if other superstars does have talents, and he's pretty sure that they do. Yeah, it's something of that nature, saying that many of the World Wrestling Federation athletes are multi-talented, and we'll just leave that to our imagination with what some of them can do and some can't. And we get a demonstration that teases that Piper will be in there later playing the Scottish bagpipes. So we shall see if that comes to fruition or not. Question three, basically recap all of the episodes for us in this email. They said they saw Dr. D, then Paul Orndahl, then Mr. Fuji, and want to know if they can see their favorite wrestler, Rocky Johnson. So apparently they quit watching after Mr. Fuji because Rocky Johnson was on the first episode, and I believe he was on the third episode, and I think they showed a clip of him on the fourth episode. Granted, he hadn't been on the full TNT set yet, but he has been wrestling in action for at least three out of the five episodes. I wonder if Rocky Johnson can sing or build a boat, or what his special talent is. I don't think anyone can build a boat, but Salvatore Balumbo. Minsk is another generic answer, saying soon Rocky Johnson could be on the TV show, but he too has a very busy schedule. Because he's tag team champions, right? Yeah, he was. Then I wonder what his schedule is. Very busy. Because that seems like in the first question that champions seem to have the busy schedule. Maybe ex-champions do as well. Uh-huh. Busy chasing. Work on that comeback. Chasing Dick Murdoch and Adrian Adonis for those tag team titles. Fair answer, Vince. Fair answer. Next up, they go and bring back an old mailbag question with Red Bastien. Finally comes in person and I'm sure one viewer's mom is very happy. Joins the set and he gives his current state of what he's up to. Says he represents WWF in California. He uh, went to college, which he looks a little old for, but hey, maybe they did that back then a lot too. I don't know. Now he's on the East Coast for a while. And should we give the listeners a spoiler or no? What do you think, Jeff? No, we already gave him a spoiler in the first part of the show. Okay, so what I won't tell you is that in episode six, Red Bastien... And that was pretty fun and interesting to see on episode six. Oh, you just ruined it. Trust me, we'll let it out. It'll be good. You ruined it for me. <laughs> sorry, man. I'm sorry. Figured you already saw it. I wonder if Red Bastion hit the University of Phoenix to go back to college. I don't know. I might have got duped at one of those fancy Donald Trump-like colleges at fly-by-night. I don't know. Terrible. Might have been Bert. And I believe next, they go to a videotape of Dory Funk Jr. and Red Bastine. For the stay, I mean, I wanted to see the match. I wanted to see the full match, and I wanted to to see it in much better video quality than I got to see it in. It kind of looked like splice film and skipped around a lot like an old movie projector would. Apparently there was no commentary back in the day, or the, I guess. Or they muted it out. Yeah. So... Who knows who the actual people were that originally did it, if they were, in fact, there. So Vince and the Red Bastion decided to do their own version. And it was a Texas death match, which I had, personally, I'd never seen before, ever. I think it's like Pujami prison match. It's kind of at the promoter's discretion on what kind of rules it has. I think I've seen one with Dusty Rhodes and WCW, but I don't think it had the same rules as what Bastion was describing this. I could be wrong. I have to go watch my Texas death match again and find out. Yeah, most definitely. After the first pin, it was outside of the ring when I was watching. That was a quick match. And then we see them both hop back in the ring. And you see Red Bastion just start kicking the dog daylight out of Dory right in the head a good seven, eight times in a row. I was like, damn. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's definitely why I wanted to see the full match. It was like a very entertaining match. They know how to do it right there in Texas. And Funks, man, they take a beating. Oh, yeah. King of Hardcore. So, unfortunately, the best part, though, when they got to the finish, it ended up being a classic. We don't know. Because they never saw the finish. So, we don't know who won, but I was in Texas. So, I'm guessing probably Dory did, and they didn't want to embarrass Red Bastine by showing him lose. Well, I wouldn't have been the first person that was on Tuesday night. Titans and lost right there. Probably will not be the last either. I'm sure there'll be more losses to come. Stay tuned for episode six, people. <laughs> Basically, uh, Bastons, they ask him how long he's been wrestling. He said minus a year that he took off for war. It's been 1947 to 1980. Math serves correct. He was doing it for 32 years minus that one year. Pretty long time. That's longer than The Undertaker, yeah. Yeah, I did notice on the, the ring, the turnbuckles kind of looked like bedposts. That was kind of funny. They had little turn knobs at the top. They also, the nice ring apron kind of looked like fruit striped gum. Good observation. Yeah, it was the fruit striped gum arena in my head <laughs> with the bedpost ring. The zebra gum. Yep, that's the one. Next up, we have Greg the Hammer Valentine. He first puts down the show by saying, after Red Bast and the parts, is this where wrestlers come when they are all finished in the ring and Lord Alfred Hayes kind of takes a jab back at him says he thinks he meant this the seat and he but he tells us Greg tells Lord Alfred that he meant the place in general the set I don't know if it kind of backfired or just didn't go over well or what it was a classic line just didn't pan out too well no he didn't have anybody to kind of go back and forth with him but Alfred did say well you're here so yeah <laughs> he did kind of have a hand we get treated to a match they want to show Mr. Valentine an action since his first time on TNT in action or set. They show him verse everyone's favorite wrestler. Don't believe it's just watch episode one or listen to the podcast. Tito Santana. He still has the IC title at this time, but they make sure to stress that this is a non-title match. I say it like at least three times. It's almost as if they know how it's going to end. I think we all do when that happens. I think it's like wrestling with two out of three falls. How often do you just see two falls and that's it? Guy wins two to nothing. Mm -hmm. It's usually always going to be one guy wins, the other guy wins. Magically, we have a third fall. Non-title means title guys losing. I think what was interesting in this match to me was they forgot to call each other the night before because they both were wearing solid black green gear. It was a non-title match, okay. They wore their standard non-title match gear. Obviously nothing mattered. <laughs> which is all black and honoring that the title is not on the line. Tradition in wrestling that no one knows about. I thought that was awkward to start off. That Miss Greg Valentine had a purple Ric Flair-like robe and black tights and Tito also had black tights. This was radio commentary. It would be kind of hard to say the guy in the black tights because it would apply to both wrestlers. It would have been a heck of a mix-up. Yeah, for sure. Apparently Greg Valentine was managed by Captain Lou, at least for this match, and Captain Lou ended up not really coming out on stage with them. I don't know how closely they were paired up to each other or not, but it wasn't really mentioned too much in the interview either, so who knows. But the end of the match ends up being a count out, and I have a theory on this. Yes, it wasn't a double count out, I don't believe, because there was a winner. Yeah, no, it looked like a double count out. Unless I'm missing something during the match or the rules were different back in the day. Well, apparently they were because
because they, after the match ended and they go back to the studio, they were saying, how would that have felt if this would have been the title on the line? And as we know from modern wrestling, they always tell us the title cannot change hands on a disqualification or a countout. They had to keep stressing this was non-title. And that was the end of the match was a countout. And they still asked him if it was a title on the line, you would have been the champion or kind of lean that way with their line of questioning. I'm guessing back then you could win the belt even if the other guy got counted out. I don't know. That's what I have to go off of. But I am seeing that Tito Santana is perhaps a fraud. I hate to say that, but I've seen two Tito Santana matches, and he's held on to the title both times in a heelish, like, not pinning the guy fashion. So I can only assume he is not a very good guy and should not be everyone's favorite wrestler. But he did that make a wish. Apparently, Chris Beavers did not know the Tito Santana that I have been watching. The guy that loses to Adrian Adonis via disqualification keeps the title and loses to to Greg the Hammer Valentine, the account out loses the title. But since their title wasn't on the line, he got to keep the title. Very heelish, Tito. Not cool, man. No, no, definitely not. Were some interesting comments by Greg about why he lost and how he felt, and they introduced possibly a new tag team that I was not aware of. Uh, referees, the uh, the uh, fish, uh, officiators uh, are not treating me right because I should have won a particular match that you just saw this evening. Now, if you were casting a tag team called the Officiators, who would be in that for you, Jeff? I think the first dirty officiator comes to mind is Nick Patrick. If I could do the other one, we'd probably have Nick Patrick and Earl Hefner, the next tag team champions, the Officiators. Which Earl Hefner? I think that's the question. I'd go with the legitimate one and not Dave. Dave didn't screw Brett, so I would have to go with Earl, the original screwer of All right. wrestlers with titles. I'm with you on that one. Okay, there you go. Next t-shirt, the officiators coming out. You guys need to get on that. We need the donations. Yes, all your shirts belong to us. Definitely. So they introduce Valentine's wife next, and Vince was kind of wrapping her up at the beginning of the show, saying she will knock your eyes out. And while I thought that meant she was going to be a female boxer, nope, she was not. So I was kind of let down in that. Well, she was definitely a knockout. Was she a TNA knockout from Impact Wrestling? That's what they called their divas. Yeah. Yeah, for that era, for the 80s. Yeah, she definitely had that 80s look going. This is that era, so can't criticize too much. Wendy definitely had the 80s look going as well. But she comes out, she says basically that Valentine's not a Dr. D. David Schultz. He's actually nice when he's not inside the ring and at home. and doesn't beat up on his wife or slap her mama or anything like that. I don't agree with that. I believe the word pussycat was brought up. Several times, uncomfortably. And he was not very happy about that. No, Vince said he thought he was more of a tiger. That's what he pictured him to be, was a tiger. <laughs> That's what I got out of that one. <laughs> yeah, she goes into thing of what she likes to do whenever Greg comes home and has a rough day, and Vince kind of coaches her up on it. I got a clip of that. Actually, I got two clips. I found two different clips of it. One, the original that was not heard on the show, but the first one was the one that they played on the show. So here's the first clip. Greg Valentine comes home from a hard day's work. Well, uh, he can be sometimes feisty, I should say, and I try to uh, try to relax him the best way I can. How about relaxing him? 
I feed him a good meal. That's yeah. the first thing. Feeding his, feeding his face. <laughs> and um, I always try to massage him, give him a good massage. That seems to help. Hmm. I wonder if perhaps we can get into this a little more in-depth when we return. Perhaps a little more in-depth view from Miss Julie Valentine as to how she treats Greg the Hammer Valentine when he comes home from a hard day at the office. That was the original clip that aired. Warning to listeners, if there's any kids in the room, you might want to shoo them out for the next two minutes or so, because this little other clip's a little bit more racy. So here's the original clip that went unaired that I dug up. Some listeners may find the following clip disturbing. Parental discretion is advised. Greg Valentine comes home from a hard day's work. Well, uh, he can be sometimes... Feisty, I should say, and I try to uh, try to relax him the best way I can. How about relax? Uh, I feed him a good meal. That's the first thing. Feeding his feeding his face, <laughs> and um, I always try to massage him. Give him a good massage. That seems to help. I wonder if perhaps we can get into this a little more in depth when we return. Perhaps a little more in depth view from Miss Julie Valentine as to how she treats Greg the Hammer Valentine. When he comes home from a hard day at the office. Oh my, that was, that was, yeah. And you can see why that didn't make air. Luckily, the production staff caught that one before it went out there on the USA Network back in 1984. Yeah, how'd your kids, how'd your wife kind of thing? Holy cow, I didn't realize they were <laughs> uh, that in-depth. <laughs> the whole different meaning. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, most definitely. whole different meaning when she put a different soundtrack underneath it. Yeah, that was something. <laughs> They do pay it off. They come back and we get a treat of awkwardness with Greg uh, the Hammer Valentine being shirtless and in his famous style at the time, 1980s Paul Orndorff shorts. And he lays on the table and then they bring out his wife in a bikini because that's the only way you can give massages. Everyone knows that. And she proceeds to rub baby oil on Greg and Vince basically awkwardly watches while asking questions questions to Greg and Julie. And I have a clip from that if you'd like to hear uh, how Greg first met Julie. Yes, let's hear how this awesome team worked. Also might want to make the kids leave the room for a few seconds. Oh boy. Some listeners may find the following clip disturbing. Parental discretion is advised. I met my wife. Uh, she was doing cartwheels. I beg your pardon? Cartwheels by the swimming pool the first time First time I ever met her, I pulled up in my Trans Am and I, I couldn't believe my eyes. Pedophile! Mm, excuse me. It's the first time he met his wife. She was apparently 10 years old. Mm, she was doing car wheels. Interesting. Yeah, she was 10. To say the least. He was at least driving. I guess it was different back in the day than it is these days. Yeah, yeah. They had different statutory laws back then, I'm sure. Who knows? Maybe they met in Alabama. It's perfectly okay. They didn't say they were related. Exactly. And you can be 10 and go out with at least 16. Alright, fair enough. After the moment of awkwardness, they go out and come back with Rowdy Roddy Piper. Wins the set and first right off bat comments how he wrestled Lord Alfred Hayes when he was 17 and he won. Yeah, I think we are still looking for that video clip. If you want some hard stuff to try to find, try to find Lord Alfred Hayes matches. They say he wrestled. I mean, I guess he did, but they're hard to find. I mean, who am I to call him a liar? Exactly. He's still 
definitely you know, David Schultz. Was he wrestling for the Queen? Might have been on our selected all wrestle team or something. I don't know. But Piper talks a little bit, says how he won on a technicality, but he still won. So I don't know. We can't find the match. Who knows what that means? They go to another match. Piper versus that lady that delivered Lord Alfred Hayes' mail. Special delivery. Good old SD Jones. On commentary was Gene and Vince. Piper controlled much of the match with neck stretches. Yes, kind of a neck vice. SD starts a comeback and then Piper doesn't want to watch any more of it. So we do what Piper wants. He starts talking over it and making them come back to the studio. And then they do a cutaway and go back to the studio. Says he knows he won. Doesn't want to watch it again. And he said, Vince, you were on commentary. I won, didn't I? Vince admits he did. That was the end of the SD match. But at least we got to see SD on TNT. So my show is complete. You know, doing these podcasts and watching these episodes, I think more wrestlers should have spoke up and said, you know what? It's time. (laughs) We need to move on. If only Snooka could put sentences together that made sense and was on that episode for Shamu. Yes, definitely. Could have just said, yeah, we know we won this trapezial lock, so let's just move on. Vince then commentates to Piper that he wants to prove people are wrong, but he's hearing that Piper can't play pipes. And I don't know if you know about Piper. I'm sure you probably do, but he actually can play bagpipes. But for the show, he kayfaves it up and tries to play with so that he can act like the heel that he needs to be. Still plays pretty decent. From what I heard, he just kind of plays it real fast and tries to go all over the board on the notes so it sounds like he can't play. I believe he played in high school. Is that right? Or is that where he learned to pick it up? He said he was in the 1978 Toronto something or other all championship or parade or something. I believe that's where he learned actual in real life was in Canada. Oh, I was going to ask you, was that Toronto, Scotland? <laughs> he spent most of his time in Canada. I did like the the comedic break from all the music and sounds and music intros and you know the seriousness that was that was there displaying the many talents of the superstars i'm glad piper could come in with a little comedic relief much needed needed to break up the awkwardness of pedophiles getting massages from their wives and stuff like that back comedy so from there we get to see scottish dancing demonstration segment which brings me flashbacks to the japanese dancing demonstration yes thank goodness dancing's back on tnt I was like that viewer email beginning to get worried that we would not see more of it. I'm going to add that to the note that I send to the P.O. box. Please do. We're dancing. Bring back dancing on Raw. Please. And not the Nitro Girls Bowl. Real dancing. We need culture lessons is what I was missing. Yes, exactly. We need some dancers from Samoan dancers. There you go. There's enough yep. on them. They can do that. I would support and definitely second that for them to do that. So let's get on it. Usos tried for a while, but apparently that made him two-faced, so they had to go back to street mentality mode. And no more dancing. I think that was a battle cry. I believe that's what it was. And it didn't seem to get him nowhere. I think they moved the other way. You say battle cry. I say dancing. Speaking of Samoans, they play a clip of a Samoan or from the Fuji Islands as he likes to pretend. Jimmy Superflies Snooka. And what clip could possibly have Piper and Jimmy Snooka in it? So many. I know. I believe there was one famous one if I'm not mistaken. I believe it was on the Piper's Pit. I believe that's the one that they were referencing. I think that was it. Hmm. But the one where they spoke the truth? Um, I don't think there was much speaking going on as usual. Yes. They play the clip. Except this 
at least to their credit, is an unedited clip, and you can tell that it was a little bit different than the original one they played. Credit to them on that. One had a lot lengthier footage. We got to see some bananas shoved in faces, a few extra straps to the back there on Snooka, and we get to see Snooka fall back on a chair, probably hurt along with the straps. I'm sure his back was feeling delightful after this little segment. You know what I like the best? I bet I do. The door. The fact that there was no blue box. Oh, I thought it was the door. Dang. No, he just didn't turn the knob. It's a steel door. <laughs> Come on. I'm telling you, man. Beads that don't <laughs> understand the concept of knobs. Well, it's the only thing to save Piper. We had a joke somewhere that how do you keep us smelling out of the room? No blue box. No sensor bar. I guess there wasn't enough blood for them to censor any type of thing. As long as there's no blood, you're, you're good to beat the crap out of the guy and give him several kicks to the head, beats to the head, and belts to the back. Just wallop on him as he's still suffering from a freshly concussed concussion. So on a side note, have you ever tried to crack a coconut? I worked in produce for, I don't know, a year and a half, two years, Winn-Dixie in high school. Shout out to the Winn-Dixie that's no longer there now, Gold's Gym in beautiful Sun Tree, Florida. And we did sell coconuts. I have never tried to crack one. It's not easy. Yeah, that's what I've been told. It's not easy at all. So he definitely felt that. There was definitely no acting when he went backwards and ran into the wall and took the production set down. That was definitely real. Yeah. Not that I've ever broken a coconut over anybody's head. I'm just saying it's hard to do. Tune in to episode six of the Tag Team Podcast. So yeah, they did uh, show that footage once again, but like I said, they, they did the justice. It was unedited and it was longer and lengthier and was different stuff than we've seen before. So I'll accept it. They come back and Piper uses a now famous Randy Orton line saying he's a legend killer and then goes to say he's a legend destroyer. That was the first time legend killer was probably ever used on WWF slash E television. I'm sure he got legend killer from Cowboy Bob Orton Jr. telling him, hey, use this. I was going to save it for my boy, but you can use it, Ronnie. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. I hadn't seen Bob Orton yet. I'm not sure if he's on television. I'm sure he is. Just hadn't made his way to TNT yet. Oh, he'll be there. Yeah, for sure. He's got a WrestleMania match coming up. So, down the line, they get Rowdy pretty riled up, and he goes kind of ballistic and starts getting a little angry. He loses all control, to say the least, which is Hot Rod is a very good name for him. Showed you why he's called that. Uh, Vince kind of made him mad. Lord Alfred didn't help much. And we get a little bit of taste of his strong hand. Matter to me. Alfred, it don't matter to me, man. I say this man is without dignity. Without dignity, man. Who you do you add think nothing you are? to this program. I had nothing to this program. Just to pardon me, I got no bow tie. Pardon me, I had nothing to this program, man. I, I come on here. I'm we'll not be back. 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 What, you piece of garbage, man? I had nothing to what? Huh? You think you're something? Hey, hey, what? Hey, this! Hey, Grace, what's the matter with you? Cole! didn't hear it. Smack he heard around the world. Yes. Or as forget I the bullets. It, forget the shots. Slapped heard around Smack the heard studio. around the world. Probably some of Piper's best that I've seen in a while. Yeah, if he would have done that to Cindy, oh, she wouldn't have been around for the next match for sure. There wouldn't have been no, no, no definitely not. No, definitely an Alfred. An Alfred handshake. Yep. It gets heated, to say the least. Another kind of Jerry Springer-like moment. This makes two episodes in a row when we got treated to some Springer. And and they come back from break with no Lord Alfred Hayes, and Vince has to address the matter. I have a further word on what happened moments ago with uh, Lord Alfred Hayes, Roddy Piper. Producers of TNT did 
Mr. Piper will never again appear on this television show as long as this television show was on the air. Furthermore, I'm sure that legal action will be taken by Lord Alfred Hayes on behalf of you, the viewing public. And certainly actions like this by Mr. Piper, not only unbecoming to the sport of professional wrestling, but degrading in general to be associated with a human being of that nature. So should we give a spoiler here or no? Hold on. Heads or tails? I'm going to go with tails this time. Oh, oh, hang on. Lost it. Try another one. Yeah, I lost that one too. Dang it. <laughs> I don't flip coins, man. I'm a gambler. Aha. Here we go. Heads. Good. No spoilers except for Jeff. So, Roddy Roddy Piper. Next. Okay. Sorry, Jeff. Didn't mean to spoil it for you. But during that segment, they did cut off before he come back to smack him. And it did say, Piper is red hot. So you guys know. So we knew something was definitely going to happen. So straight from the slap around the studio, they go to what they finally have given a name. But it really wasn't much. So I don't know. Maybe it doesn't count for the Jip segment, which I like to call as match joined in progress. Real quick, rapid fire. Chipomania. But they call this WWF review. If I had to review it, I would give it two thumbs down. It was Fabulous Moolah versus Penny Mitchell. Poor souls that had to commentate this match was Gorilla Monsoon and Pat Patterson. Do you have any thoughts on this before I rip it to shreds? Um, I think the only thought that I have when I first first actually seen the match, I was actually happy to see women, you know, the theme of the episode is, is girls... And women and women's movement, them, you know, actually starting to be on TV more is more than just the body, quote, quote, well, which you wouldn't know from the first part. Yeah. then you missed out on two more girls and girls, but you got one in there. So that's all that matters. Yes. And I was happy to see an actual, well, <laughs> well, a match. We're going to say a match with two women actually showing off the athletic yeah. skills. There was a bell that rang at the end. So, yeah, it was a match, I guess we'll call it that. Yes. For the 80s, it was good. Okay. So. So the real breakdown, terrible match. I guess they did spots no matter what, even if the person wasn't set up correctly. Doesn't matter. We're going to do this spot and we're going to do it. So we get Mula misses a flying body press and he gets up and does the same spot and also misses a flying body press. So we have two people that just basically jump in the air and do flying body presses to the canvas. Look terrible. The commentators then followed up with how exciting to watch they are. And exciting means hilarious. Seriously bad? I agree. Later in the match, Penny does a drop kick to the air. She was supposed to wait till Mula ran off the ropes and then Mula grabs the ropes. Kind of a spot we've seen many of times in wrestling matches. But she doesn't even wait. She like just kicks the air and then Mula has to backtrack and grab the ropes after Penny's already on the ground. So that move made zero sense whatsoever. And then after you want to watch that little fiasco, then it's at the one hour and 31 minute mark where that great mystery air drop kick to nothing happens. Finally, a mula puts us out of our misery with a flying body press and the four fans had to watch six minutes and six seconds of 
crap. Thank you for that. Yes, unbiased opinion. Definitely. I still see some of that in the women's wrestling today. I just don't know if they don't know how to communicate or they forget some spots. Yeah. But even if you watch it today, you still see some of the similar botches happening. For sure. It's definitely not just a thing of that air. I guess to say, you need to watch these tapes on women wrestling to really learn the basics. I think they don't need to do that no more. I think they need to come up with their own style and their own ways of doing it. We'll give Mula a little bit of credit. She was probably like 50 at that time, wrestling some 20, 30-year-old woman. So it was a huge age gap. But yeah, she should have been in the ring. It was much whatsoever. No, I agree. Maybe the future matches will get better as we move forward in Tuesday Night Titans. Can only hope, knowing what I know from the pay-per-views, this is just going to be a little fad. Oh, that pretty much wraps up the episode. They come back to show Lord Alfred Hayes and the great makeup capabilities of the makeup girl and she he shows off his rowdy rowdy piper slap mark and it probably looks a lot worse than it actually was i'm sure they enhanced it oh yeah but it did look nasty kudos to the makeup kudos the piper oh i'll never be back so vince showed him and the producers we were treated though the episode on youtube was an original it was not the typical episodes that's up there which would be a wwe on demand 24-7, basically the same thing that's on the network, edition of TNT Tuesday Night Titan. That was a little bit of a treat. Yes, the picture quality was bad, as expected for something that was original, but you got a whole different view of what TNT actually looked like when originally aired, and I'm sure you noticed some of the same stuff I did. They had different intro music as far as from the segments. It was like 80s popular rock music. At one time, it was Van Halen's Jump came back from a commercial. The different segment with Wendy Richter and Cindy Lauper had Shebop playing in the background. No doubt why it wasn't on the network. They couldn't get the rights or didn't want to pay for that music airing in the background. They cut that short on the network. It was a longer segment of them training and working out. More importantly, it had that music in the background that they did not want to fork over money to play. All the days of non-digital copyright. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing what they could get away with back then or didn't have to blur out certain things that weren't products or whatever, but yeah. So that brings us probably to the most overwhelming thing, and that would be that the music changed in the very opening of Tuesday Night Titans. I think I have a theory on this. I know, shocking theory for me, but what did you think of it? I believe that they need to give Paul Vashon his horns back. <laughs> I was impressed with the sponsor that they finally got the sponsor of the show to help pay the bills. Levi's jeanswear quality never goes out of style. And I wasn't a big fan of the music that they chose to use. I think there was a lot more out there. It seemed like daytime Donahue talk show type, good morning San Francisco type music. Well, it is you know a copy of the Johnny Carson late his, night show. His music still had more horns and sounded better. This one sounded like you're on hold or something. Hold music for a show that you're calling in on. That was my first initial thought. Was, oh, horns. Here is the theory slash hypothesis. And they, good or bad, are doing stuff on the network. Good, meaning, hey, maybe we'll get some more episodes of Tuesday Night Titans instead of just the 43 
that are out there, they'll show the rest. Bad. Go back and rewatch episode one, two, three, four. You will now hear the same music. They're changing the entrance music for Tuesday Night Titans. So I'm guessing maybe the whoever actually did that copyrights expired, or maybe they had some legal action or something. But yes, what we originally heard for episode one, two, three, and four is now the same exact music for episode five. We just wouldn't have known it unless we went back and rewatched them. Very interesting. Yeah. Good observation. Yeah, only reason I went back is because I lost this bet with myself. It said the producers, and I thought on the first episode or so it actually acknowledged Vince McMahon as a producer. So I was skipping to the end of the episodes, but no, sure enough, it's the same two people. Actually, the first, maybe the second episode also, it just has one person, and then they have the same person that's on the fifth episode. So I had to watch the first few seconds of each one to get to the end to be able to fast forward, and yeah, sure enough, same music. So for whatever reason, that music no longer exists on the network. So if you go forward, you can watch on YouTube, and you'll hear the original entrance music, but if you go on the network, you're going to hear that sing-songy, on-hold, welcome San Francisco daytime talk show music. We'll have to check that out, definitely. Yeah, I'm going to write the P.O. box and find out, hey, Vince, what happened? I'm sure I'll get back to me. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Just make sure we send my letter before we send your letter about our podcast, because I don't want them to, oh, this is the guy and have my real name and stuff like that. I guess we need to get wrestling name. Yeah, for sure. I am the fourth okay. Hefner. Good luck on yours. So, for differences, that's really all and I noticed. It was the Shebop and then the different popular music of its day playing in on segments in between commercials. I think they came back to Van Halen twice, Jump, and then I forgot one of the other ones that was popular. It totally gives Molly a different Crip. perspective. No, unfortunately it was not, but it totally would have been appropriate for this episode. Oh, most definitely. Looking ahead, we have another special coming up. It is the WWF slash MTV, The Brawl to End It All. We are next episode, and that'll be on July 23rd, 1984, for the timeline. This happens before the sixth episode of WWE Tuesday Night Titans. So we're going to break off once again and do another special. And if you have no clue what we're talking about, go back and listen to our other episode, the Black Saturday, July 14th, 1984 special. We're Vince McMahon becomes part of WCW, sort of. Yes, for a little while. Yeah. Oh, what do you want? You keep touching my leg! With that being said, I think it's time to bring it home. We're getting the signal. Yep, it is that time. So, thank you for listening to the WWF Tuesday Night Titans, the tag team podcast. We look forward to having you listen next week. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your friends of your family, all your family friends. Download, download, download. Follow us on social media. On Facebook facebook.com forward slash the tag team podcast on twitter at tag team podcast on google plus the tag team podcast email us at the tag team podcast at gmail.com leave us a voicemail on the tagline 6016544 tag that's 6016544824 You can also listen on SoundCloud by searching the Tag Team Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Tag Team Podcast. 
Join Jeff and John next week on a special edition to break down the WWF's The Brawl to end it all. I have my eye on a couple of uh, young boys, and hopefully uh, things work out. We can get together, and uh, I'd like to try it for a sixth time. I'm sure you would.